What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen. It's another episode of Unpolished Therapy. I am here with the one and only DB, Dr. Boca. Good morning. Good morning, Rach. How you doing? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so messed up this week with days, but all day yesterday I thought was a different day. And today I thought it was Friday or maybe that was wishful thinking. But I am happy to be here on my Wednesday. It's usually my grounding point. So what are we doing? Well, it's weird because we're both so organized. And I look at you as someone who's so organized and meticulous with your calendar. And it's like, I read something funny the other day, which I thought is sort of apropos of like us being adults and scheduled and whatnot. And I got a kick out of it. And it said, adult friendships require appointments now. Are you free March 15th at 3 p.m.? What day works for you? And like with the phone conversations and whatnot. And I'm so like that now. I have a few friends, not everyone, but a few friends who we will literally text back and forth what time works for our phone date. And that's the way we do it. And it's like the audacity of anyone else when my phone rings. It's like, wait a minute, did I have an appointment with you today? That's kind of how adults who are very busy do it now. Absolutely. And I'm assuming I know you do this too, just because I know your personality style. But we've talked a little bit about how you and I are always early, which is really on time and those people that aren't late. But I block too much time. So what happens is I'll make a plan with somebody and I'll say, okay, how is Tuesday at 2 p.m. for us, whatever, and I'll block an hour because that just makes sense to me. Well, they are in their head blocking 15 minutes. So I then have this whole chunk of time that I'm sitting and waiting, thinking I could be productive doing something and yet no productivity ever gets done because of this stupid technology and I start doing something crazy. So I have to get better though at giving realistic time slots to my friends when we're booking these things. But it is a little outrageous that we do have to book phone calls and coffees now. We have to book six weeks out because everybody's crazy. But then think about like, remember the days when like the phone would just ring and it was like, I mean, it could be anyone anyone on the other end of the phone. And we actually like, how risky were we? We actually (laughs) picked the phone up and we're like, hello, as if. And I have to tell you, I mean, not with all of my friends, but I do have a handful of friends, men and women alike, who I don't want to say the respect card. We don't have to like start analyzing all of it. But the only way that we can really spend that quality time catching up is if it's scheduled. Yeah. And then I look forward to it. And mm-hmm. But speaking of the audacity of and being an adult, I have some real meat and potatoes to deliver to you today as a real big unpolished entree. Oh, And I think for the listeners out there too, I think you guys are really going to take a bite at this. So I have a friend of a friend who's become a better friend now, but in all fairness, started out really as just a broad stroke acquaintance who I had known several years ago, I mean, probably even more than several years ago. We'll call it a decade and we'll use round numbers. West Boca, stay-at-home mom, three kids, wife, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not really sure what happened, but I was told then that she was getting divorced and that sucks. And, you know, that was way before my divorce. And, you know, we didn't really roll in the same circle. And then 
the next thing I knew, and again, the timeline on this is not 100%, but several years went by, maybe, maybe just a year. I don't know. I think we're going to find out. Long and the short, folks, again, this isn't like unsolved mysteries here, but my friend got divorced from her husband. X amount of time went by and then she remarried her husband again. (gasps) Oh my God, I'm so excited. Yeah, and it's just, you know, look, in today's world, I know we've talked about too, like unless there's bodies buried in someone's basement, Nothing really surprises us these days, but this is an unpolished story for the record books. And it does have a happy ending, but I feel like it would be so great to get into what had happened to see the timeline. So, Uh, oh my God, I wish people could see my face because I'm like chomping at the bit here. This is like unbelievable, Rach. I'm so excited. Well, my guess too, it's sort of like a therapist wet dream here to kind of like, not only, and I guess too, like a wet dream from the perspective that you don't have to be the therapist to help them fix all this, but to just hear, again, the the crux of this story. So let's just jump in. It gives me so much pride and pleasure to introduce to you my friend Marcy Berger, who was Mm -hmm. so gracious to kind of, we we connected and I ran into her and, and she knows about the blog and the podcast. And it was actually her idea to say, hey, I'd love to tell you my story. And I just took that ball and ran with it. And I was like, I'm getting out my 11 by 14 calendar. And when can we talk? And oh my God. And you know what? Today is that day. So without further ado, Marcy Berger, welcome to Unpolished Therapy. Hi, ladies. It's nice to listen to you and be here today. I'm really excited about telling you my journey and how it happened. And maybe someone out there will listen to it and it will just open their eyes or close their eyes. Either or. First of all, I want to say thank you. And I know Dr. Rogatouche is salivating over there. (laughs) And so we blanket statement that we thank you for sharing your story. And you use the word journey. And I just want to say too, because again, I'm going to have to backtrack here because I don't even know many details. And I purposely, when you said you wanted to share the story, my guttural reaction was to start asking you 8,000 questions. But I didn't want to because I didn't want to take away that authenticity of doing it in the moment. I didn't want to take away this delicious just candy for Dr. Boca, <laughs> right? You. I wanted us to be on the same playing field. But what I do want to say that I have a little bit of a leg up on Dr. Boca is that in the, and I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but in the last several months that I've seen you, because we do have a couple friends in common and Dr. Boca, I'm telling you this, I haven't seen Marcy anything other than with joy and happiness And she's just this burst of positivity and she's this free spirit. And Mm -hmm. it's such a pleasure being around her. So I don't know if it takes getting married, getting divorced and remarrying (laughs) your husband again to have the energy that I see Marcy exude. I don't know. Maybe this is the new thing. I don't know. But Rachel, you have to shut up and I have to start asking questions or you have to ask a question because I'm literally sitting here dying to hear this story. Let's just kind of start from the beginning. You were a stay-at-home mom. You had young children. Tell us a little bit about how long were you married? When did you meet him? What is your husband's name? Okay. My husband's name is Tom and we met 30 years ago at this point. And I was a stay-at-home mom. I had three kids. I was very busy with the kids. I had two baseball players. I had a young daughter. There's a big age difference in my kids. The older ones were five and seven years apart from my youngest. So it was constant busyness. I guess what happened for me, I felt like I was sleepwalking in my life. 
I just was like a robot, just like do everything I was supposed to do, just kind of really started to disconnect from who I was anymore. And then my relationship started to just feel like it was a job. It wasn't natural Mm -hmm. anymore. It became stressful. Let me just ask, how old were you when you met your husband? How long did you date per se, engage? Mm -hmm. And then when you got married, and how many years were you married when things started to kind of get to where you're talking about now? I met Tom when I was 24. And we dated, and I guess about a year and a half, we got married in 1992. So within two years of being married, we had our first child. So it was like straight into being a wife and a mom and just doing what I'm supposed to do. And when I say doing what I'm supposed to do, that's how I was raised. You go to college, you get a job, you meet a man, you get married, you have a family and you do all the holidays, every birthday, you do everything at your house and you just are that person. I guess the first observation is that you were kind of just checking off all the things that you were trained to kind of do with the expectation that you had as a child, which is not an uncommon phenomenon. When you met Tom, though, was this a love at first sight thing? Was this something that you felt connected to him? Was this just I'm checking it off the list and he meets the criteria? And this is the first time. What was that experience like for you? So... I would definitely say that whoever you marry in life is timing. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was timing. I was working in Boca and I met him and he was of age 28, 29. I was turning 25 and just moving along with my life. And I feel like I married Tom because it's timing. It was that moment in my life. And was I in love with him? Yeah, I Yeah, I thought I was in love with him. Whatever love really means, if I even knew what love meant when I was that young. So, yeah. Okay, so now we've sort of identified the front end, which sounds pretty consistent with kind of mainstream what we're raised to do and what we've modeled and so on and so forth. Now you say you're very busy with the children and you're doing everything that's required of you from that stereotypical wife slash mom. And then... I guess what? Things go a little sideways, right? So it was more so that it was me. I became very miserable. And I have to use the word miserable because that's what it became. I was unhappy. So, and when I was unhappy, I took out my unhappiness on Tom. So he became the focus of why I thought I was unhappy. And he didn't even know any of this was going on in my brain until it was going on. Of course, we did try to go to therapy, (laughs) you know, and and try to work through that. decision, sorry to interrupt, but when you knew you were unhappy and you would be taking out on him, but then you said he was not even aware of it. To me, that would drive me insane. Like, I'm so unhappy and my partner is clueless. Did that make you even more unhappy? And then who facilitated the idea of going to therapy? So it did make me more unhappy because he just didn't understand why I was unhappy. So, and honestly, I couldn't really answer that. And and it was like, we did the responsible, mature thing to do, which would be to go to couples therapy and try to work through that. But the problem with that is you both have to want to be there. Yeah. And he wanted to be there, but I didn't because I was like, I was done. And I didn't know what I was done from. I didn't know what the answer was, but I just was like, I just couldn't be with him and be around him. And it just became apparent that my only path was divorce. 
So Marcy, let me ask you this. I give credit to Tom that even though this was all you, at least at this juncture, he was willing to do the couples therapy, but you weren't. Was there one, even though it might have been a buildup, was there one defining moment or the straw that broke the camel's back to say like the only answer in my head was divorce? I mean, that's a big leap from I'm not really sure why I'm unhappy and the only answer is divorce. First of all, I have to just explain that my husband is an attorney. Okay, so let's just go with that in your mind. Okay, so if I was maybe dealing with someone that had a different livelihood or a different background, maybe we could have separated and tried to find our space, but I couldn't find space with him. Mm -hmm. And the only explanation in his mind was to take it to the finale, which was divorce. So that's what we did. And it was brutal. I mean, the whole process, anyone that goes through divorce and, and it's funny because like I have most of my good friends are divorced women because you have to be so super duper strong to get divorced because it's a man's world out there. And I say that wholeheartedly and lived it because I had to reinvent myself. I hadn't worked. I did side businesses, you know, my jewelry and different things. And I was substitute teacher, but I had to reinvent myself. I had to start my career over 20 years later. And you know what? You got to be super strong to do that. Absolutely. And I think you are communicating to our listeners what we've spoken about before, whether it's through things that Rachel's talked about or when we brought on our divorce coach. This is, I mean, really a process and it hits you at the deepest core of you. And you do have to reinvent yourself because a lot of women have given up their entire identity, which is what I'm hearing underneath was part of the problem was that you had lost yourself, i.e. identity. It didn't necessarily mean work. It just meant what is my purpose? Who am I? What makes me happy? What doesn't make me happy? I'm tired of like schlepping kids here and there. I need to feel more fulfilled. So I guess the other question that I have that's kind of tied in is at that point where you and your husband communicating? Were you guys having these conversations? I mean, you've already articulated that he was an attorney. So I'm already conjuring up in my unpolished therapy head what kind of personality style he is and how his communication must be. But were you guys communicating? Had you always had a relationship where you guys dealt with the underlying problems, could come to each other when you weren't happy? Did we brush it under the rug? Did we just kind of go in our silos? What did that look like if I was a voyeur looking in? That's a very interesting way of summarizing everything that kind of went down. I would definitely say we definitely had issues with communication, but never really realized it. And he just was very black and white. There was no discussion. Didn't really understand why I was so unhappy, why I went down this path. But I honestly, looking back at all of it, I can't really tell you one single thing that why I became so unhappy, but I will tell you that it does hit you deep core in your heart, in your soul, in your brain. And literally you can become so miserable and I had to figure it out and he wouldn't give me the space to figure it out. Hmm. Marcy, when you say you were miserable, I wonder, and some of it, I go back and it triggers a little bit in my divorce and making that decision and whatnot. And I had kept my circle really 
close and tight when I was hemming and hawing over, am I staying? Am I going? Or actually, I take that back. I was never staying. I just didn't know how to go in the beginning. To your like ride or die friends or some of your family members, let's say, or whoever your inner core circle was, did they know how unhappy you were? I mean, my guess is to the outside world, we all put on a mask and a facade. But did you have people that really saw your unhappiness or were you keeping it so tight to the vest that nobody knew? I would have to say that people were completely shocked that Mm. Tom and I got divorced. Beyond shocked, okay? My best friends knew how miserable I was because they would see it. But on an overall basis of like that fake happiness and that little like, oh, everything's great, like on Facebook or Instagram, how everyone looks so happy. Yeah, people were shocked. And I, I don't know, I was trying to save myself because I was drowning, drowning. And I just had to, I really just had to get away from him. And that's really what I had. What it sounds like is a lot of times we get tunnel vision during these times, right? And we can only see whatever we think is causing it and we cannot see anything else as the problem. So we get fixated on if I could just get away from him or I could just get some time without anyone around and think about it, maybe I could reconnect with myself. It doesn't usually happen that way because it's very complicated. You know, we have kids, we have this, we have life, we have finances and all of that is mixed in. However, I guess some of the things that I work with with my patients, we look at what else is going on. So communication is always one of them, right? But was there arguing? Did the kids know that you guys weren't happy? Was there sex? I mean, were you guys still intimate? Were you guys emotionally intimate? Did you go out with friends still and fake it till you make it till the outside world? Or did you guys just kind of cut off from going out with people because it was too exhausting to kind of fake it? Well, I will tell you that I'm a salesperson. So I would tell you that we would fake it till we make it. And you know what? We were still intimate. We still connected, but we argued a lot. And my kids saw it. I mean, my youngest, actually the oldest, I shouldn't say that, it's the oldest. He suffered the most from this whole situation because he saw it. I mean, we would argue. And a lot of the times our arguments were over our kids. Mm-hmm. And that was our biggest trigger was we argued over our kids. It would just escalate. And Tom had a bad temper and I would feed into it. We didn't compliment each other. We triggered each other at that time in our lives. I mean, it, it wasn't good. I'll tell you, I, you know, I joke that I'm hardly a therapist and I have no <laughs> training whatsoever. But when you said he would be one way and it would trigger something in you and you didn't compliment each other, I know from like when you're young and sometimes people misconstrue love and lust, sometimes that twin flame thing, like there's passion in the unpolishedness almost, that you bring things out in each other. And some people, maybe because it's lack of experience or they don't know how to communicate or they just get caught up in the moment of life relative to timing, as we said earlier, and some of those opposite attract things maybe end up being more problematic than we want to believe. Let me ask you this, Marcy. How old were the kids when you did get divorced? How long did it take to get divorced? Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, my two boys were in college. Okay. okay. And then my youngest, she was in middle school. Yeah. So that was like, it was hard for that. The boys were gone. So that was fine. And then my youngest, 
would stay with me and then stay with Tom once we got divorced and had our own places and all that. So that was kind of like a routine and we got used to that. And my kids were very even. They never wanted one of us to feel like they weren't spending the even amount of time or even amount of attention. It was like crazy because like I have friends that got divorced. I mean, and I would see, but like I do admire my children because they did not pick sides. They stayed neutral and they basically understood both of our positions. So that was interesting. So you guys went to couples therapy. That didn't work. He wanted out because he didn't see separation, it sounds like, as an option. So who made that final decision? Like, we're going to go forward with divorce. And how can you describe that process? I know you've already said it was horrible, but can you describe some parts of it that were so sure. horrible How and how long it took? Well, I'm going to just say December. Okay. And then we did try to go like in October, November, we tried to go to couples therapy. It didn't work. And so then December, we were just like, and I decided I wanted okay. a divorce. I served him. So then let's say that it was like January, February. And then we stayed in the house. We put the house up for sale, but we didn't sell it. And we were in the same house because we couldn't afford to yeah. run two houses. Yeah. So that was brutal because he was dating. I wasn't necessarily dating. Surprisingly, oh my God, he had a girlfriend within two months of us deciding we we're separate. I mean, like, so, it's, and it's he difficult. wasn't, and he wasn't even the one who was no, theoretically no, unhappy in the relationship. That's right. so interesting. So of course, he meets yeah. someone and he has a girlfriend. So that it was like really bad in the house because mm-hmm. we were living together. And we knew we were getting divorced. So the process didn't really take that long because we started the process with the attorneys, I'm going to say um, March, April, May, and our divorce was finalized in September. Was that through mediation or was that through? No, we both had lawyers. Okay. And we both had lawyers and we lived together. So it was brutal because... My lawyer would talk to his lawyer. He would come home and, you know, yell at me. You know, like I was able to separate it, but he wasn't. He was like so emotionally like mad. (laughs) So looking back at the whole situation, it's just how we both dealt with it. So let's jump to this portion now. You say very shortly after the, you knew you were getting divorced. It wasn't legal yet, but he started dating right away. You're the one that asked for the divorce. When you started dating, I don't know what your time frame on that was, but did you go into it that, all right, I got divorced from my husband. I'm moving on. I'm now going to find my right person and I'm going to take this seriously. Or did you date just for sport? Because you have now said various times how unhappy you are? Or was there a period of time where you were like, wait a minute, I made this big grown-up decision, courageous nonetheless, but oh my God, I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. I'm unhappy. I got to be finished with this. Look, most men, it doesn't surprise me, they jump from one to the next to the other. But women, you know, I feel like our minds are constantly working and we're complicated and we want to analyze. And how did you take this next part of your journey? And and how did you feed yourself? Well, once we got situated with the house, he had moved out before I did. I We closed up the house and then I moved out and I got my own place. And how did I feel in the very beginning? You know what? It was very overwhelming. I mean, being a divorced woman and entering the dating scene after 25 years of not dating. Some people thought dating was fun. I mean, 
I like thought it was kind of like not so fun. I mean, I would go out with people like once. I feel like in the world today, because everyone dates from online now, that it's just really just bullshit. Did you do it online? I did do it online. I did go out a lot with friends to different bars, wherever. I did meet a couple of people here and there, but I wasn't really focused on that. So I'm dying to get into the headspace here. So here you are, you get divorced, you're finally in your own home. He has a girlfriend already and you're starting to date. Do you feel the world lift off your shoulders or do you sit there and you say, holy fuck, like what I thought was going to fix this problem didn't fix this problem or did it fix the problem temporarily? Then you had this aha moment of like, wait a minute, now I'm whole and I'm longing for him. Help me understand all that. Marcy, before you answer that, that's also kind of where my headspace is too, because I want to get the timeline on. Like, you were so unhappy, you got divorced. But again, like, where all of a sudden you're like, okay, cool, I can change my status when I fill out an application. And instead of it saying married, I can now say divorced. And is that like, poof, I'm happy now. So walk us through that as well. So I would definitely say to you that the reality of being divorced and the thought of being divorced two completely different things. I really think divorced women have to really like rebuild themselves. When I walked out of that marriage and those papers were signed and I was divorced and I left that courthouse, did I immediately feel like I was happy? 100% no. I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't have any answers, but I did know that I did have peace. Like I felt quietness in my brain and Mm. I needed that my head was going to explode. So for me, being in my own place and knowing that I didn't have to answer to anyone or discuss anything, I can make all my own decisions and come and go as I please, that gave me peace. So for me, it was more about peace. I think that's a beautiful answer. And obviously, Mm -hmm. and I can attest from firsthand experience that even if you're the one that initiates a divorce, when you sign those papers and you walk out of the courtroom, you do take a deep breath. And there is a sense of peace, if for no other reason than just the finality of all of the limbo and the uncertainty and Mm -hmm. the the trauma, if you will. But then it's kind of like, I mean, I remember to this day, shaking my attorney's hands or giving him a hug and getting in my car and being like, now what do I do? Or what the fuck did I just do? Well, (laughs) yes. And to some women, what I mean, to me, what the fuck did I just do knowing that I didn't have a regret? But yes, you're right, Marcy. What the fuck just happened here? And what do I do? You know, with me, I have humor that I try to use as a hedge. But even to this day, and it's a lot of years now, I'm divorced, whether it's a doctor's appointment or a business, whatever it is, if you have to fill out an application. And I still sort of take pause when they ask, who's your emergency contact? Because it's like, oh my God, like I'm looking around and I'm on my own here. And I've got to imagine, even though there's that calm and that peace, which is so beautiful and so real when you go through that process, especially when you've been living in this heightened, agitated state of unhappiness for so long, there's such beauty in that. And yet there's this thing that Rachel's just kind of alluding to. It's kind of like, even though I don't regret leaving the person, it's like, I just gave up stability. 
whether that stability was really just dollar signs or whether it was having an intact family and that perception of an intact family, even though it was hollow inside and didn't feel fulfilling, there is some security there to, holy shit, I know I might have enough money and a house to get through the day-to-day with, but I have to now do shit. I have real problems here. I have to start paying bills and I have to start finding a job. And that adds just different stress. Is there a stress there though that is, does that still create peace because it's now your stress? Or is that a different type of angst that we're carrying around that created a different type of unhappiness? I will tell you that I wasn't unhappy when I was divorced. Like during that time, I um, recreated myself. I was in the baking business before and then I didn't work and I went back into mortgages and I recreated my career. And um, I I worked part-time. I didn't work full-time, but I had to start recreating me. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, is like, it takes two people to get divorced. Absolutely. This wasn't all his fault. It was 50% my fault. So the reality of that and working through that, you have to really look who you are and figure things out because I couldn't continue on life like the way I was. I had to find peace. And I keep saying that because I was like, I don't know if it was angry or I don't know what it was, but I wasn't like happy. So let's try to connect some more dots here. So it does sound as though, and I know you now, and so I know for a fact that you are this strong, empowered woman who really has rebuilt herself, refound herself. You're your own stable entity, even though now, you know, we know the punchline that the happy ending that you found your way back to each other. So let's kind of go to, you know, the the other side of the fence here. I want to talk a little bit about how do you forgive each other? How do you not hold on to resentment? Do you just say, fuck it, we're going to forgive or we're just going to forget? And I mean, forgiveness, how do you really forgive? I'm resentful and I'm not even part of this equation here. Wait, okay. I, and, I, and I love the question, Rach, but before we get to that question, and it's because that's such a powerful question, I have to know, how did we get back together. And then how did you like get through that? No, that too. But I want, yeah, of course too. I mean, I want to know who came crawling back to who, who was humbled, who was humiliated. What do you just knock on the door and say, hi, Tom, it's me again. I made a mistake or, and guess what? I don't even believe in mistakes. So yes, walk us through that. Lori and I will zip it and just get to the good stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I will tell you the story now of how Tom and I were able to let go of some of the anger because I would say it was more anger. So my oldest son was at college and he played club baseball and there was tournaments like once every two weeks or once or whatever. So he said to me, now mind you, you know, Sarah, my little one, was going back and forth to our houses. So like, you know, we had to have communication because we still had a young child to take care of and she was affected by it, of course. So anyway, he said to me, do you want me to drive you? My son was at UCF. Do you want me to drive you and Sarah to the tournament? And I was like, how am I going to sit in the car for three hours with him? Because how am I going to do this? So I just said to myself, you know what? I'm doing it for my kids. I'm going to do this for my kids. So we literally, he drove me up there. 
I didn't say one word the entire three hours in the car. He didn't talk. My daughter just listened to her music. So that was the first trip up there. And then when we were at the baseball fields, I stayed in a hotel. We weren't together. I did what I had to do. Then he would drive me home. So I would say that probably we did that three times. And then what started to happen was we started to talk a little bit and we became friends again. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then on Sunday nights, he would say, do you want to come over for dinner? Because Sarah would be at his house on Sundays. And I'm like, all right, I'm doing it for Sarah. You know, like I want her, we had a good relationship. I'll do this. So we did that. And I will just tell you that we became friends again. And when you kind of let go of that, I have to just say all those bad feelings and anger, you can really be open to do, to new relationships. So Tom and I then we had a new relationship. So we have this new relationship now. Now we're parents and we're friends and we are now being respectful and nice to each other and we're not angry at each other anymore. So this went over a period of time. And then um, a period of time. I'm just curious to try to. Yeah, I would say we were divorced for like a year and a half. And then that's when we started to like approach each other where we became friends again. And then I would say that it was like four months later. And at this point, he had stopped seeing his girlfriend and I was dating, but I wasn't really dating. Like I didn't really connect to anyone. And so we decided that we would go out to dinner, the two of us. It went well. And we decided that if we were going to do this, we weren't going to tell the kids. We didn't tell anyone actually. And we said, if we're going to do this, we need to find a therapist because we had to go to therapy correctly and we needed someone to help guide us because the last thing that we ever wanted to do was hurt our kids again. That was like huge. Marcy, let me just jump in and ask a couple of things. I want to back up because I do okay. think it is fairly common when couples get divorced, if it is kind of contentious through the divorce process, maybe the end goal of being friends at some point down the road is a fairly attainable goal. You know, as long as you know, no one killed each other or you're able to get past that initial anger and hurt and so on and so forth. So even in my case, you know, a year and a half later, two years, three years later, to me, it makes perfect sense that sure, we're having dinner together, we're driving the kid, you know, you are co-parenting. Right. In my world now, I feel like I have a lovely relationship with my ex-husband. Do I want to go out to dinner with him alone and not tell anyone and get a therapist and start over? No, I would never connect the dots on that. So it's interesting that you said like, that's a big leap from we started to have dinner together. We were friendly for the sake of the kids. We became friends. I mean, so far, check, check, check. I know me and I know a handful of divorced men and women that would say, sure, yeah, we weren't in the beginning, but we're friends now. But now you guys are going out to dinner. Okay. So on that first dinner date, did it cross your mind that, hold on a second, am I on a date with my ex-husband now? And what does that look like? Well, no, it didn't cross my mind in the beginning because <laughs> I was like, didn't even like think that was an option. Right. <laughs> right. Like, are I you allowed like, to do that? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't think he thought that was an option either. It was like, it wasn't an option. <laughs> in many ways, it's safe, right? If you don't think it's an option and he doesn't think it's an option and you share a kid, it's such 
safe territory when you've been through the drag of the drag and now you have somebody who knows you, accepts you, you have to kind of keep a relationship together. It's a very safe place to have some intimate conversations and to be emotionally intimate. I mean, it just, it was like, it was nice. And I'm fast forwarding very fast for time here, but it was a process. I mean, it was totally a process of getting us to a point where we decided that we were going to try to see if it would work. Do we both know why we thought that would happen or if that was our journey and our divorce led us to this path? No way. There's no (laughs) way. I mean, it's very no. expensive to do it that way. Yes, and it was very expensive. <laughs> but but I say all the time that it was worth every single solitary cent because you know what? I would not be who I am or where I am without us getting divorced. So before we go back to Rachel's question about how do we forgive and how do we forget, mm-hmm. I know that you guys did couples therapy. Did you both do individual therapy to kind of figure out in that time frame when you guys were not together, like, what am I? Who am I? What am I not in a relationship? What was it about that relationship that triggered some of this in me? What can I not do in my next relationship? Obviously, it's with him, but what can I not do? What do I need to do? What do I need from? Well, I will tell you that Tom did not believe in therapy. He did not go for therapy. And then I was very like, I never had gone to therapy my whole life. So I didn't turn to that. You know, I didn't find that an answer. Therapy wasn't the answer to me because I just never. And to be honest with you, I was such a different person. Everything was black and white. There was no gray. It was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. That's it. And I didn't even know that I had things to work on personally or as an individual and either to Tom. And then when we went together, that showed us a direct path to try to get to where we wanted to maybe be to see if it was an option. I would imagine, and obviously you're not going to divulge what your real therapy together was about, but I would have to guess that you had to have some real ground rules relative to non-negotiables on a go forward that you were both going to stick to so that you wouldn't be rewriting this unpolished past all over again. Well, because at a certain point and at that point, and I don't know why that I could tell you this, ladies, why we both were open to it. I don't know, but we were, and we were able to say in therapy, what triggered our madness to each other? What were the things that caused the arguments? What were they? And I do remember our therapist every week, I think we went every two weeks, she would give us homework. And the homework was like, you need to come here in two weeks and tell me three nice things about each other. Well, that's not so simple. It just isn't. And it really made us look at each other. When you decided that you were going to give it a go again, and you were going back to therapy and you were doing the homework assignments, but I would imagine you're still living apart and it's a secret and nobody Mm -hmm. knows for the sake of the kids and their mental well-being and whatnot. But two weeks is a long time when you're on your own. Were you not dating anymore? Or were you then just going out just because it was an activity? But you had now... It's funny. It's like your husband or your ex-husband was like your side dish. How does that work? I mean, it's almost there's some kind of like sex appeal a little bit to like the secrecy and the naughtiness of something that nobody really knows you're supposed to be doing and that the two of you have this private situation. 100%. I mean, that was like probably was made it more wanting. 
we went away for the weekend together. I told my daughter, I, and she knows now, but I was like going to stay to a music festival with my college roommate. I mean, like we definitely put it out there and like tried to reconnect, but we both wanted to. I don't know why. It's just, that's what happened. Well, it kind of takes away the day-to-day life and the mundaneness of life. And it does, like Rachel's saying, bring back some excitement that you might have had early on in the relationship. And we have to remember that met him, you had no kids, he had no kids, could be fun, whatever. Then the life piece of it kind of got in the way. By the time you guys got back, your youngest was, she was older. She was probably driving and self-sufficient to some degree. You guys could have that lust and excitement again. And that naughtiness of that secret, which stirs up some passion again and some aliveness to enjoy that part of life again. I think this is awesome. I think this is great. I'm sitting here with the biggest smile on my face because I'm like, forget the, how do you get over resentment and and forgiveness? I just want to get into like, what is it like to like love all over again, a person who it feels new, but it's not a new person, right? right? I want some of that scoop. Like that just to me, here we go. This is the fairy tale part that me, who I read too many books or I watch too many love stories on TV. This is what we all dream of. That like the Mm -hmm. story has a happy ending. And that's what I want to know. You guys, maybe you are really these soulmates that needed to just hit rock bottom to find each other again. And so Marcy, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask you, like, how does it feel to love again in such a new way with a man who you have such history with. And yeah, tack on, how do you let go of the resentment and the anger? Yeah. Well, I'm going to first start off with the resentment and the anger. So when we decided and with therapy, we both knew we had to be open to the situation because if you weren't open to it, you were not going to be able to. Listen, people do not change. We know that. They modify their behavior. So. My most carried phrase that I will take with me and every part of my life from my, from therapy was, I can't control how other people behave, but I control how I react to them. Yeah. So if I choose that to be my mantra in my life, that I think about this always, that there were certain things that I had to change and let go of. And there were certain things that he had to change and let go of. So No, both of us are still the same people, but we did modify our behavior to each other. You know, just this is silly, but like, you know, he used to have my alimony put in my checking account, you know, direct deposit. And we still have that. And you know what? It works better for us because he has his own account and I have my own account and I don't see where he spends money and he doesn't see where I spend money. And it works. Yeah, you still have that independence. Like, and you don't have somebody watching over you. That's awesome. No, and it's like for me, you know what? That was like a concession that he made or we made together and it helped. So all these little like that stairs, you're walking up the stairs and every step that we took was to let go of some of that anger and let go of those triggering things that would trigger us. So we got to a point where we were able to communicate better. And that was amazing. Again, we were very cautious. We like, we lived together for a year we rented together to make sure that we were good because we didn't want to like get married again and not to be successful. So that would be a whole nother podcast. Right. 
that we're not wishing for, just for the record. <laughs> how did the kids and your family and yeah. all the Yentas in town, how did they all take it? Not the marriage part, because we haven't gotten to that, but just yeah. the, now you're out in the real world and you're sharing that you guys are giving it another go. How did that go over? You know what? I didn't really have any lip from anyone. It was like interesting. Like my parents and his mom, and they were happy. My kids were a little cautious especially my oldest, because he saw us in the in the heat of the terribleness. But when they were around us, they could see that it was different. I know that sounds crazy that you can be with a husband or a wife for so many years. And then what happened to us? And then it was, it's just different. I don't hear it as a crazy thing at all. Based on what we were talking about before, you get this tunnel vision and it goes back to you intuitively knew what you needed from the get-go, which was, I just needed space. I needed to be able to breathe and sort out my thoughts. And what happens a lot of times, what I hear from people over and over and over again is the second, usually the wife, not always, but usually the wife says that the man gets so defensive and so fearful and then acts out impulsively of, no, we just have to end the marriage. I don't believe in separation. Where's that going to get you? And all of those typical lines that you hear when intuitively, sometimes all we need is that pause, just a pause to regroup, reconnect, ground ourselves, see clearly, take off those tunnel vision glasses and kind of put on our clear glasses and kind of see that reality. And I have to say, we haven't gotten to the new part of the marriage yet, but I give you guys so much credit. You have modeled, not only for our listeners, but you've modeled, more importantly, for your children, right? How to communicate, how to work through. Sometimes we do have to fall. Sometimes we do have to make mistakes. Sometimes we do. And when I say mistakes, what looks like a mistake or feels like a mistake isn't like Rachel said, actually truly a mistake. It gets us someplace else. And you have modeled that so beautifully for your children that I had to give you guys credit because I know when you're probably going through it, you feel so crazy and you feel so lost and you guys are recreating something that you didn't even know existed as a possibility. And yet look at what came out of it. So you guys are really just beautiful models of kind of figuring it out as you go and taking risks and not being afraid to apologize or step in a different direction and see what that result looks like. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. I mean, we talk about the love now and the best friendship and the giddiness and being middle-aged, but feeling like teenagers. Let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So we lived together for a year (laughs) and we decided that it was a good thing. So then we we bought a house together. We're still not married. Hold on, hold on. When you would go out and so if you were introducing him to someone that didn't know him, were you like, this is my boyfriend? Or you like, this is my (laughs) ex-husband? Or this, like, was, I'm da- like, it was I mean, you weird. Come with them. I know it's so weird. And I just think it's so great. I mean, it doesn't get more unpolished. So I, I know. I think I just said, this is Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I ever said like anything else because believe it or not, some people didn't know we got divorced. So, uh-huh. you know, and then when we see people, they would, they didn't even know. I mean, wow. it was kind of like, I didn't have to like really, and then like my people in my life, they knew, but it was, yeah, it was a little confusing because I, you know, I would be like, this is Tom. He's my, I would say, I think I said he's my boyfriend. <laughs> right. I, you know, I didn't want to explain he's my, I, and then sometimes I would. He's my ex-husband, but we're dating. 
<laughs> this whole just, like thing. I just want to put out there and I might get some wrath from my family if they're actually listening out there. But my parents tried to date after they separated also. It did not end successfully, but it ended successfully in that they both moved on and found other partners if we consider that a success or not. But it's not uncommon for... Uh, you know, I hear it in my practice all the time that people get divorced and they do try to date. It just oftentimes doesn't lead back to where you guys are at. But you guys are not an anomaly that you dated. It's the next step that became yeah. the anomaly. Yeah. So who courted who? Like, was it equal? Did you feel like because you were the one initially that asked for the divorce, you kind of had to do a little bit more? Was he being chivalrous and trying to make up for maybe some of his downfalls in the marriage? What was the courting part like? I would say that it was definitely Tom. He didn't plan things. Like that was like one of his his things. So like he was showing me that he was able to plan and make reservations and decide what we were doing. And and honestly, he like really put a lot of effort into it because that really wasn't him. So it's like we definitely both put an effort into things that maybe was a deficit prior in the first marriage. And then in the second relationship, we tried harder. I mean, yeah. we absolutely did try harder because we both wanted it to work. And it really was, I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, like, you know, Tom always says, this is my trophy wife. And my second marriage is so much better than my first marriage. Wow. And his mom will say to me, I like Tom's second wife so much better than my first wife. <laughs> That's great. Well, now, I mean, you got that second time around happily mm-hmm. ever after. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing is, is that second time love with your first time partner and your book so different, but so much better. And I think that it's amazing. I do have a question though, because if we're bringing, you know, look, I'm putting both of you guys on this pedestal. I see you guys together. Well, no, I'm putting you on a pedestal. When I see you guys, I think you're like so adorable. And I love seeing the bond that you have. And it's so apparent. But in real life though, happily married or not, you're going to bicker. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have some lows and life ebbs and flows. I wonder for you, and I'd like you to maybe even speak for Tom, in the moments where you do have current arguments, do either one of you ever feel like a little twang of like, oh my God, are we heading down a dark path? Or Mm -hmm. do you feel as though now that you've gone through so much, you have the tools that you can get through anything? Is there a trigger on that? that 100%. I mean, you know, even with my kids, there's a trigger, Mm -hmm. you know, like if we argue, whatever, but I will tell you that we catch ourselves. Mm. There's a difference now. It won't continue. You know, we have learned so many tools to deal with each other or deal with whatever's going on that we're able to redirect it. Where in the past, we couldn't. Did you guys continue with therapy afterwards? Or is it something Um, that was just time limited? You learned your tools and you just continue to implement? We were in therapy for like probably like a good nine months or so. I mean, but then once we reached a point, we were like, we were like, we graduated from therapy. I mean, it was like, (laughs) we're good. Yeah. We we (laughs) just felt like, all right, we're good. And, you know, we're married actually next week's our five year anniversary of our second Second? marriage. So happy anniversary. Thank you. And we celebrate both weddings because we got married different times. Did you have a real wedding? 
the second time? We did. We had a wedding in our backyard at our house. And we just got married. We did have a wedding. We had a rabbi remarried. We're Jewish. So we had, you know, all the traditions of that. And, but it was way different because my kids were at my wedding and they were part of the ceremony. And honestly, it was beyond beautiful. And, you know, we only had like, you know, I only had like 25 people here and it was really beautiful. And I'm not just saying that because I was there and it was my (laughs) wedding, but it was so loving. It sounds amazing. I hope maybe you'll, if you're willing to share, maybe you'll send us your wedding picture and maybe we can post it on our social media platforms when we highlight this podcast so that everyone can see because it really is a beautiful story and we could all use that lift and love does make the world go around. And I know one of your mantras Marcy, you always say life is good and life is Mm -hmm. good. And when we hear stories like this and we can help share, I just think it's such a lift. I wonder kind of in final thoughts, what would you say to married couples out there if you heard that they're struggling a little bit or they're in discord and they don't know what to do and they're not sure what path to take? Based on your experience, what advice would you give to them? Well, one thing I've learned through this whole process is that divorce is sad and Mm -hmm. it's sad on so many levels. I mean, it's sad on the level that you're breaking up a family. And let me tell you something, life is way too short and family is everything. And just the fact that like, I hurt my kids so much and I hurt Tom and you know, all this that I went through, was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it because of where we are today, but divorce is just sad. And I honestly, through the whole thing and where I'm at now, I know I had to go through what I went through to be where I am now because there's no way I would ever even recognize like what a pain in the ass I was sometimes, whatever the case may be, I wouldn't recognize it. But I recognize everything now and I've changed. This whole process, this whole thing I lived through, I have changed. And anytime of the day, I always choose peace, no matter what I'm doing. I choose peace. So I won't argue. I just, I won't. The only person I argue with is Sarah, but you know, there's <laughs> thing going on there. Of course. But I love her, but I'm just saying like, I just choose peace and we can't divorce our kids. No, but what I would tell people is before you like really go down that road, I, I 100% save my life with therapy. I believe in therapy. It is unattainable to get anywhere you need to be without it because you need a mediator. You need someone that's going to look at the situation from outside, not look at it from my opinion, because my opinion is one-sided and what I have to say has to do with what I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, you need a therapist that's going to, and that was one thing that was very important. Even when Tom and I were together, the therapist that we had, she didn't, I'm very, very bossy. And she did not let me take control of those sessions. I tried, but she <laughs> she didn't let me take control. And I need that because that's how I was then. Now you're meeting the mellow, older, wiser Marcy that will just take a step back and not deal with it. Just be like, okay. I would tell people that are considering getting divorced to try therapy to really try to be present in the therapy and to like try to remember why you got married, why you want to keep your family together and really what the big picture is because you know what? Your kids are going to get married one day. They're going to have kids. Your grandchildren, 
you're going to grow old. You want to maybe grow old together. You know, there's a lot of things that are involved in it. I just have one question. Do you think you would have gotten to the same place if Tom had listened to you at the beginning and you guys had just separated and not gone through the the destructive part of the divorce? Or do you think you are? Right. (laughs) However we want to call it, right? The, um, The pain and the agony of that. Do you think that you would have gotten to the same place just by having that, you know, breath that you had known you had needed and that space? Or do you think you had to go through all of that to return to each other? I think in my situation, we had to go through all of it to be where we are today. There is no way that I would have seen what I had. And, you know, not that I'm a, I'm a great person, don't get me wrong, but Tom <laughs> is like the kindest, nicest, best man you've ever met in your life. Would mm-hmm. I really realize that if I didn't divorce him? No, no. Mm-mm. So the grass isn't greener on the other side. No, it's not. It's not. And now then also you can go with water your own grass. It's green. And yeah. that doesn't work either. I mean, the bottom line is, is that marriage is hard and you have to work at it every single day. And, you know, you have to want it. Even 30 years later, you have to want it. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And I can see you do want it. And I know Tom now too, and I know he wants it. And I have to tell you, I love Tom's second wife. Uh, me too. <laughs> I only knew Tom's first wife very peripherally. And I have to tell you, Tom's second wife is fabulous. And I think you are terrific. And I think Marcy's second husband, I didn't even know Marcy's first husband, but I happen to love Marcy's second husband too now. And it's a fabulous story, even though there's lots of twists and turns and it is Unpolished, but Unpolished is the name of the game. And I think it's fabulous. And I'm thrilled that you were candid enough to share your story with us today, Marcy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. A lot of people always ask me this question. How can you describe what happened and what went down? And the word, I'm grateful. And I never even really knew what grateful meant until now. I am grateful. I am grateful for the man that loves me and the father of my kids. I'm grateful for who I become because I wouldn't have become this person without what happened to me. And I honestly, it's it's interesting. I thought grateful was like, who says grateful? But, you know, it has some meaning. <laughs> You know, the unpolished part of my personality is like, my takeaway is like, all right, everyone, get divorced and then you'll get back together. But no, no. I know Dr. Vogue is like, Rachel, shut up. No, that is not the message we're trying to convey here. And of course, it's not. I'm just joking around. But clearly, this is not real therapy, but this is a real story. And Marcy has been so brave to come on today and share her story with us. And we're so happy. And we are grateful that you're grateful and that Tom and you found your way back to each other and that your family is intact and clearly better than you were the first go round. So cheers that second time around. Absolutely. Um, The second time around seems to have worked for you. And look, to our listeners, I have never met Marcy before this moment or this podcast. But when we logged on, I saw that she was using her daughter's computer. And so the name on the computer, I was like, oh, I know your daughter, who, by the way, is fabulous. 
So whatever <laughs> this process took her through, she is absolutely fabulous. And you should be so proud. I don't know your sons, but if that's what it took to get her to be the way she is, and this is what it took to get you and Tom to be as happy as you are, then kudos to you guys for sticking it out and going through the long haul. And it does show that through some of our most challenging parts, we can come out stronger, better, wiser, and more grateful. So thank you, Marcy, so much for your time and for making yourself vulnerable and sharing this story with us. It's inspirational. I mean, it really, truly is because we as therapists don't usually get to see this part of it. And it is beautiful. Absolutely. I agree. So we want to wish you a happy anniversary for the second time around. (laughs) Happy anniversary to Tom and you. To the listeners out there, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, if you have a question for Marcy, Marcy, is there a way that people can reach out to you? Do you have an email you want to share or we can link it to the bottom of the podcast notes? Sure. You can link it anytime. I don't even know why when I saw you, it was like, we were at happy hour and I'm like, <laughs> I want to go on. I go, do you do like interviews? And she's like, yes. I'm like, I want to go on. And you know what? I wanted to go on because if I can help one person out there or one thing that I said or didn't say, I hope that I could help someone because there's no right or wrong answers out there, but it's good to listen to people's experiences. Absolutely. I think experience obviously is just how we share our wisdom and how we help others. And I will link your email address for the listeners out there if you want to get in touch with Marcy. But the comments, concerns, questions, you folks should know by now how to reach Dr. Boca and I. We are unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at unpolishedtherapy. Of course, on Twitter at unpolishedtherapy therapy. We are so happy to have shared this time together this morning with you, Marcy. And I can't say thank you enough. I always say to all of our guests, you've been a friend of ours. Now you are forever a friend of the show. Come back anytime and let us know how your journey continues to blossom. If there's ever like a big anniversary celebration or a destination anniversary somewhere, sign me up. I want to come. Let's (laughs) have cocktails. Cocktails, but I have my passport. I'll travel wherever. (laughs) I would love to, to toast to Tom and you. But yes, I'm always up for happy hour with you and I look forward to it. You're always value add. Absolutely. So with that being said, on behalf of Dr. Boca and myself and our special guest today, Marcy Berger, we wish you all a wonderful week. This definitely has been an episode where we have spun a little out of control on the corner of audacity and advice. And we'll meet you here next week where we break down all the wreckage. Thanks again, ladies. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.